one of my very favorite musicians, Steve Torrey, with Rainbow People. Uh, Steve Torrey is known for doing something rather unique in the world of music, and that is incorporating the music of shells. And uh, it was quite a, a thing when he did it, and now it's just, well, it's just shells. Uh, we, we used to it. So. <laughs> I, I like Steve Turry. This is Lead Stories. I'm Beatrice Lead. And good to be with you again. I hope you had a pleasant weekend and you rested up. I, on the other hand, am in the middle of construction mania. And uh, there isn't a place, not one square foot of space that is untouched where I live right now. Everything is under construction or reconstruction. Um, all of the patios have been torn off the sides of uh, buildings here and being replaced. So it's been it's been crazy. But you know you can't complain. You cannot complain. You have to learn to go with the flow, as it were. So, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I wanted to talk about your attitudes, your political attitudes, about how things are progressing right now, and whether you feel yourself part of it or apart from it. Um... Here's a question, for example, that would help you get things started. Do Democrats act as though they're a solid bet for people of color, but work even harder to win the white vote? Do Democrats act as though they're a solid bet for people of color, but work even harder to win the white vote. What's the significance of that question as you answer it? 888-874-4888. Let's hear what you have to say about that question. Oh, Lord, they started. So, uh, we may get interrupted, but don't let that bother you. We just have to March right through. So, what do you think about that question? What do you? What is it that you think would be the, the the appropriate answer to that question? Do Democrats act as though they're a solid bet for people of color, though they work even harder to win the white vote? What do you think? Eight 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 seven four four eight. Eight, eight. Another question, is non-participation in voting a good or useful strategy? Is non-participation in voting a good or useful strategy? So we'll deal with these two questions and see what we get as answers. And uh, I'd really like to hear what your thinking is, what your mindset is, and how come you came to these conclusions that you'll be presenting us with today. 888-874-4888. Nobody's on the board yet. Oh, we're still going through that. Oh, I don't know if I should be the first one. Oh, my God, I'm so nervous. Don't be. We're all grown here, and we're all a family, so... Uh, and you can be guaranteed a fair hearing. 888-874-4888. All right, I will repeat the question for those wanting to remember what it is that they are addressing. Do Democrats act as though they're a solid bet for people of color 
but they work even harder to win the white vote. That's one question. The second question, is non-participating in voting a good or useful strategy? We've had several examples of that. Uh, Many times during voting season, we've become accustomed to the call uh, of protesting by not voting. But as you think about it, do you consider it a good or useful strategy? All right, who's going to be first? Let's, let's see who is up first. We have nobody up first. 888-874-4888. Ed from Queens, you are up first. Hello, you Queens. Can you hear me? How you do? How you doing? Oh, you know me in the films. my moniker, me in the films. Hanging hard, hanging. I hard. hope you can hear me over the noise, but we just had to live with it for a minute. It seems to like okay. like construction in your area. <laughs> yes, it's it it is absolutely unending around here. So, which question are you tackling? Oh, I, I can tackle them both if, you, if that's uh, if that's allowed. Um, that's allowed. The first one, okay. The first one. Yes, the Democrats have, for years, decades, as long as I've been alive, have taken the minority vote for granted. Um, there's a lot of history that people don't remember or even know about the Republican Party, which, from which, not for nothing, used to be a predominantly black party. It was the, the, uh, after the after the Civil War and Reconstruction, but the Democratic Party uh, during the 1950s and 60s fell into the groove, so to speak. And uh, this one-slash-two-party system, they have perpetrated a fraud on the black people for years, uh, the African-American and people of color in this country. They, and now they've come to a point to where, hey, you can't do anything else, so you got to vote for us. I mean, that was a clear, a clear example to me was the Biden campaign and the fact that I'm not Trump. You know, I mean, they don't offer us anything. And when they do make a uh, conciliatory or, or, or tertiary office to us, immediately once they're in office, they back out or they back down. There are very few exceptions to this rule pertaining to the Democratic Party, and they take it for granted that we're going to vote for them. And unfortunately, that has been the case. Um, as to your second question, I don't agree with not participating totally. I'm an advocate of down ballot voting. I'm an advocate of local uh, elections. I think that's that that's where you can make your greatest impact, or at least that's been my personal experience. I feel that uh, all politics is local, like I said before, and that local involvement can lead to national change. But you've got to be persistent. You've got to have a steady platform, and you've got to you've got to endorse and promote and homegrown your own candidates with, with, with your issues, with your area's issues in mind. The tea, that's how the Tea Party did it. It started with local elections. They ran for everything. School board, the dog catcher. And in, in controlling the local uh, area, you can control how districts are redrawn. You can control how local monies are allocated. You can control how the board of elections in your local township runs. And through that way, over time, you'll control elections. You'll be able to put in congressmen and senators and control the block. But I don't believe total non-participation, I don't believe that's responsible or effective. I believe down-ballot voting. I believe control the area, control your local area. Uh, We have Natasha Williams, which I advocated for during her her, uh, run for city council. She's a good spokesman. She's a good. She's a good advocate for the Southeast Queens community. We've had Jamani Williams, who's also running for running for governor. Uh, he was. He's. He's been the public advocate, and I believe these were local homegrown candidates that came out of the that came out of the Southeast Queens, uh, the New York experience, and uh, I think that's the way to go. Well, thank you for your well thought of. 
thought out responses today. Thank you very much for calling in. Let's see who's up next. Who's on the air? I'm having some technical problems myself. Let's see. Okay. This is crazy here. I hope they didn't slip some electrical line and left me in the dark somewhere. Eight 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 seven four four eight eight eight. Hello, you're on the air. Which question are you gonna tackle first? Okay. So maybe we put a little music on and I can get my thing here together because it just fell apart. Eight 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 seven four four eight eight eight. Eight 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 seven four four eight eight eight. Jeremiah from Harlem, you're on the air. Good afternoon, Trice. Good afternoon. Um, I think I caught your questions. Um, and always uh, as you're listening to Brother Ed, who's thoughtful and insightful, and um, you know, as Brother Ed has pointed out on numerous occasions, we're witnessing the decline of empire, and I think he's correct in that assertion. And, you know, I mean, take whatever analogy you would like. Um, it kind of it reminds me of sort of a, an athlete who, you know, spent up all their money and has gone from rags to riches to rags. I'm sorry about the sound effects. Sounds like uh, your whale watching. <laughs> sounds like whales in the background. I don't we, mind. We have to suffer through, but we'll be all right. Everything is music to my ears. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, it does sound like a cello or something. But um, but I, I'm just saying that, you know, America has gotten sloppy. The ruling class, which rules us, has gotten sloppy. Um, we need to divest from the system. We need to, you know, whatever strategy people take in regard to voting, you know, I mean, I wouldn't lecture somebody about that at this moment. I would just say in general, not to put all your eggs in that basket. We need to really start engaging on a community level. You know, there's there's all kinds of really incredible things going on in terms of cooperative economics. People need to think about buying land together, need to start farming. Um, people need to start engaging in their own community events where we can, you know, spend money within our community or engage in barter where we don't have to spend money. We really need to start digging in deeper in terms of options outside of the system because, you know, I've used the analogy before, but it's like we're, we're in the hands of an abuser and we let them get away with their ongoing abuse. And if we don't stand up, they will continue to abuse us more and more fragrantly. Uh, flagrantly, and I think that's what's happened, you know. And as far as the, the Democratic Party goes, I mean, to me, they're they're the party of medical mandates. They're the party of democracy. And I don't mean that to give the Republicans one single feather in their cap, which they do not deserve. Um, I'm not switching from Democrat to Republican. I was always neither in the first place, and now I'm further removed from the Republican Party than I ever have been before. Um, you know, if, if a candidate wants my vote, I want to know where they stood on mandates. And if they thought it was okay to impose experimental medical intervention into my body, not interested in supporting them at all, not interested in their rhetoric at all. Hmm. Well, thank you. Thanks for that analysis. I, 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 I agree with most of what you said, really. Thank you. Gary from Hempstead, you're on the air. Good afternoon, beloved. How are you? Okay, thank you. Sorry about the noise, so, but I can't do anything about it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll soldier through. That's right. So, so if you need me to repeat anything, just let me know. So we'll with respect to... With respect to your first question about uh, Democrats and uh, African Americans or people of African descent, 
um, I, I, it, you know, triggered the thought uh, that Malcolm had left with us. You know, he put them first, they put us last. It mm-hmm. seems like everything we've learned from 50, 60 years ago, those lessons are still quite relevant. Um, I think that the Democrats pretty much know that we, most of us, feel we have no place else to go besides them or opting out completely so they don't choose to represent our interests. And they've painted the Republicans who are well-deserving in many instances uh, as uh, demons and not a viable choice for black people, which, you know, for the most part, I'm in agreement with. So there's no place to go. You know, either you opt out or you go with them. And I think that actually uh, the Democrats are, in fact, uh, trying to woo white uh, voters um, because, you know, as they refer to them, anytime I hear the term working class, hardworking Americans, mm-hmm. I don't think black people are being referred to. I think uh, white middle class voters, the shrinking middle class, are the ones that are being wooed and referred to. And frankly, you never ever hear discussions about maybe Dr. Barber. Uh, You'll hear talk, but you don't hear talk about poor people anymore. So I think that by referring to this white working class, they have psychically divested themselves from poor people, a.k.a. also uh, urban and black people. You know what I mean? So they get to talk out of both sides of their mouth at the same time. Um, I really don't, and I agree with Ed and, and the, the, uh, the speaker after Ed. Uh, I think that Jeremiah. Polit- Jeremiah, thank you. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he agreed on this point that politics are local. Um, those are the people that are closest to you. Um, those are the people you have a little more leverage and clout with. But as Dr. Claude Anderson says, you know, you have to buy a politician. If you can't buy him, you have to rent him. So what I'm saying is we have a problem in our community because, A, we don't vote as a block. So we diminish our political clout. And, B, we don't have to put our money as a group. No, that's really not called for. You know, we don't put our money as a group politicians and look politics and to be in politics you have to have money they have to uh, fund um, campaigns so if we don't fund them once we get them in there the people that are, are, are you know padding their pockets are the ones that have influence and control so, so really, tell me why Gary tell me tell me why you're right on point, of course, in your observations. And one would say that if you are so clear, if you can see this so clearly, why then don't we have a black-based party? Uh, what is the problem? Um... Well, that's a really great question, and I think it's uh, the answer is almost kind of multifaceted. But I think a we don't have a, a, enough trust and confidence in each other. B we've become too self-centered, you know, focusing on our own individual needs and and desires. C we still you know uh, are, are depending on white people to solve problems for us as a group. And um, so, you know, I, I just, and there's, we've lost a lot of hope. I mean, I came up in the mm-hmm. 60s. So, you know, one of the great things, you know, I got the opportunity, thank God, with the uh, MLK funds and sorry for his loss and that, that to his family that it took to get that. But I was able to go to, you know, was, was some of the finest schools in the country. As a result of, of those funds, I was able, because of affirmative action, to, you know, have a career in, in corporate life where I could, 
you know, put some a few dollars together, buy a house, and have a raise a family. So we felt hopeful. I mean, what we're experiencing today is, is anti-hope, you know. Um, I, I feel sorry for these young people. You know, I tell people all the time, I'm not, I wouldn't turn the clock back for a minute to go back to where these young kids are today to grow, growing up and trying to work their way through this madness, you know. So, um, you know, I think we, we, we've lost hope. We don't know where to turn. You know, and we were not turning to each other. So I, I, I think that's the best, you know, off, you know, quick response that I could offer on that subject. Well, you have offered much for our consideration today, and uh, I mean. It's one after the other. Every answer you gave was loaded. And I hope people were paying attention because there's no way anybody could argue with what you have said today. Well, thank, thank you, you so you. much, if I, may what, if I may offer just one additional thought, and I do sure. agree with Jer- Jeremiah and also Gary talks about getting off the grid, and I know there was a community, I haven't really followed them in Georgia, of black folks that bought some land down there. And and I, I think that's helpful and important. The key is, you know, if you, can, if, if you don't control the money supply and the means of exchange, a lot of these uh, uh, initiatives that you will undertake uh, uh, will not, you know, prosper for so long because you need a means of exchange. And there are powers that are controlling the currency and the money supply and our ability to buy and sell that really will dictate, you know, the course of the future global economy. Thank you so much for calling in today and contributing so meaningfully. Thank you. I appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you. Um, It's a wonderful uh, thing to be greeting each other and talking to each other with a great spirit and with great love and mutual respect. Gwen from New York, you're on the air. What say Hi, you? Hi, oh, I, I tell you something. The callers have been so fantastic. So, uh, and I really, really believe uh, the last caller really pigeonholed it by saying that where do we turn? Because I feel like that too. Where do we turn? There was something else he pointed out that I think that we need to take a look at. We can't just talk about uh, currency and, and putting our money, you know, uh, you know, having, having money and because right now we're up against the most wealthy, the, the smallest and most well, most wealthy and most powerful elites we've ever been up against. And the problem is that some of these elites actually have as much money as countries have, as a whole country would have, which puts us at a huge deficit. And they also have something in their favor, and that, that is they've organized themselves in, in a worldwide uh, forum. So they're not talking about political parties. They're talking about how are we going to carve up the world. They're so far ahead of us with their technology, with their amount of money, and with, with their vision. And, and they put themselves even further ahead of us by giving us all this, this vaccine. So we only have time to see how that actually rolls out. And I think that we are very good at identifying some of the problems, but I also think that we have to set our minds, you know, 10,000 light years ahead of where we were, where we are. We are not talking about a regular political system anymore. That's gone. And we can talk about it, we can pretend it's here, we can look at it and pretend that we're actually voting for somebody. You are not. You're voting for somebody that, that a handful of the richest people in the world picked out that could run, okay? So don't, don't tell me they're not going to come to the table already tainted. They'll be very tainted because they already got their orders. Their orders don't come from you. They come from this handful of extraordinarily wealthy people. And the whole thing is so daunting. 
to me at least, it's so daunting. It's breathtaking. I mean, every day I listen to Gary Knoll and there's more he puts up. And it's like, how on earth can we get, can we get our, our minds wrapped around this? I mean, these people are talking, talking about controlling our minds and hacking our minds. And I mean, they're putting it right out there in the public. So there's, there's no, you know, they, they have no shame. And they're not, they're, they're mentally ill people. I truly think they're mentally ill with enormous amounts of power and money that single human beings have never seen before in, 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 in the years that this world has been uh, in existence, I don't think. So, so I want to ask you, I want to ask you a question that takes you back a little bit as a political candidate. Yes. What then is the alternative to what is now? You've been through an effort to provide something different. What lesson did you learn about, or what insights did you get about this political system that you didn't have before? Well, I, I, I personally always felt that I was a very powerful person and, and as myself. I, I thought that I could get in there and really, you know, I, I could, and I did. I, I, I really did uh, duke it out with, with a lot of these people, and, and most of what I was doing was calling them out on the way they, they turned their backs on our community. A lot of that, if you'll you know, ever listen to my uh, debates, as you can find them, normally when we do a debate, they just get rid of them as soon as possible. But what, what I found out in the long run was that, first of all, they know who you are before you even start, before you even get your debt name on that ballot. They know who you are, and they're waiting for you. And when they, when people, when they go to the best events I always had were public forums because when the public's there and they started to hear you, even people who didn't come in for me would end up clapping for me because they knew I was telling them the truth. But that is not how you get in. I, I lost against a woman who was, she, she got the lowest turnout in the history of the city council and then became the speaker of the city council. Now, how did she win? Well, she had a lot of dirt under her, and it was very easy for, for them to gain control over her. So what it looks like to me is that if you don't have a certain amount of dirt under your, under your nails that they can, they can pull up and, 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 and say, you either bark like a dog or we expose it. If, if you don't have that, they're not even interested in having you as a candidate. And they'll do anything they can to, to destroy you as a candidate. I mean, my candidacy was royally destroyed, blatantly destroyed. Uh, uh, when they couldn't get rid of me, uh, a, couple of, uh, a couple of weeks before the election, they actually took my house, just my house on the corner of my street, out of the district, which meant that I lost all my matching funds. That was just weeks before that. Uh, there was another time where they came to my house and they, they put a, a horrible mural up on the side of my building, which was bizarre. And even though a lot of people didn't know what that mural meant, a lot of people in my neighborhood did know what that meant. It was actually a death threat. And when I questioned it and we wanted to sue for it, I was, I was written up in the post as some kind of lunatic uh, for, for even acknowledging that th- this, this has power. Don't tell me it doesn't have power when your opponent comes to where you live and, and paints a mural on the side of your building. I have a, a mural on the side of my building of a, de- of a head, the head of a dead bird in a basket being impaled. That's what's on the entire side of my building starting on my kitchen window. This is powerful stuff. I never saw Hillary do that to Nancy, but my point to you is... If you go out there and you start speaking the truth and you keep speaking it, because I have people behind me that are very intelligent and, and also very powerful to, to help me get to that place. But I have learned the hard way that even when you win an election, you will still lose the election. Because I got to tell you something, I'm pretty sure that every person, I went to every house and every, every project in the Bronx, I'm pretty sure they remembered who I was. And I also have to say that most of the people, no, all of them, were very, very nice to me. They were so thrilled that somebody actually came up and sat in their kitchen with them. You know, they said, no politicians come up here. Who comes to the South Bronx to get a, to get a vote? Well, I did. I went to every single one of them. But my point to you is that 
this really makes the powers that be very, very nervous. And the very last election I ran in was for city council. And do you know that there were 22 people that ran for that election? And I was the only one who was not allowed to speak. When I came in, I was told to sit down and you are the only person that can't speak. And that is because I went up against Hillary Clinton. I wrote a letter about Hillary Clinton that I put into all the projects just to let people know that she supported the three strikes you're out. But the reason why maybe you have family members that are sitting in jail forever is because of the very legislation her and her husband put together. Well, you know, I, I signed my name on all them. And that went right up to the Democratic Committee, the Democratic Party, and they were, I guess, pretty mad. I never thought they would take it that seriously, that I couldn't even speak in, at an event, but they did take it seriously. And so I guess my lesson to all of you, or to, to people that haven't run, is that even though somebody like me is, I don't think I'm a big candidate. I've only ran for the city council. Uh, I had almost no money at all. But apparently it was enough to rattle their cage, enough that they used every single method they could to destroy me, mentally destroy me, destroy my family. I mean, they did it. And I have still come back again. But what I've learned this year and what I'm learning now, and this is what I want everybody to, to understand, these games that they've been playing, they've been playing these games for years, okay? We're at a new game. This is not the original game. This is not what they, it's not enough anymore to just uh, have your, you know, your Democratic Party uh, not allow you to come in. Because there really is no Democratic Party and there is no Republican Party. There's one party. It's this group of these extraordinarily rich, mentally ill people that, that want to own everything, including your mind. And that is why they are trying to stick needles in your arms and, you know, use mind control. And I, I think that we're beyond the point of talking about whether a conspiracy theories happens. Of course they happen. Conspiracies, two people that are working out a plan happens every day. It's not, not normal. It's very normal. It's normal in every walk of life. But if we keep coming to the table and we keep saying that, well, we're identifying our problem as the democratic party and the Republican party. And you know, how can we get ahead? Are you kidding me? We are not up against a tidal wave. We're up against a tsunami, a tsunami of wealth, and power and insane people that have an agenda. They apparently know what they want. And I, I have to say, I can't think of any, anything else to do other than some kind of revolution for, for the rest of us, because we don't have the money they have and we don't have the, uh, 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 the power that they have. But what we do have is we have numbers. We have billions of people on this planet. And I think that that is the only thing, the only way that we could possibly uh, you know, fight this new system. And there is a new system. Oh. You know, get used to it. Well, there is a new system. Thank you so much. Thank you Thank for you. the tour. <laughs> it's, it's been quite a tour. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm not saying it pejoratively. Quite in, uh, the opposite, in fact. Thank you for giving us a, a view of the landscape that you personally experienced. Thank you so much. We'll take this break and come back to your answers to the question posed or the questions posed today and see what you think at 888-874-4888 right after this. You're listening to Lead Stories on PRN.FM and we're answering some political questions today. Uh, Jackie from Brooklyn. It's your yeah, turn. Hi, good afternoon. Hi. Can you hear Hello. me? Yes. Yeah, how are you and you and the listening family? Uh, I said okay. I wasn't going to call, but after Gwen's statement, I had to call in. Okay, uh, I agree with about 95% of what Gwen just said. I just wanted to give you my own experience. Uh, I tried to run for the district, a district school board here in Brooklyn. Um, because I got tired of trying to get services for, I had a son with special needs. And um, they challenged my petition to get on the ballot. In those days, the school board was uh, very political because people viewed it as a stepping stone to go into city council races and other races. Anyhow, um, they challenged my petitions. I went to court. And a friend of mine, before the court dates, he called me and he asked me, do you know who your judge is? 
So I said, no, I don't know. So he said, well, you better find out because the judge is the former counsel to the Kings County Democratic Club. So oh, that gave me an idea. <laughs> you know what happened. Okay, my petitions were uh, uh, deemed invalid, and I didn't get on the ballot. So after that, uh, they called me, somebody called me, and said, you should join the Kings County Democratic Party if you want to uh, get involved with the school board. So I didn't join the party, and I didn't get involved with the school board. But um, I continued to advocate outside of that system. But uh, Gwen is right. It's even more uh, vicious, I think, now than it was even at my small um, my small adventure in trying to be involved with local politics. Um, the other thing is, I think I read in the paper about them drawing a mural on the, on the side of her house, the wall. Uh, I don't know who she had representing her, if she had anybody representing her or helping her. But I agree with her that it's, uh, it's beyond just Democrat and Republican. I don't agree that, uh, you know, it's up to the level of mind control because we still have minds. That's why we're talking about these issues. Also, uh, here in New York, Bob Law has been talking about this for a while, and he brings this up every once in a while on his show um, about forming a third party. Um, but I do agree with Gwen that it is beyond just trying to form a third party. It has to be something much more dramatic than that. We have to think outside of the existing structure. So I agree with her about that. I don't agree that, you know, we're up to the point of mind control. I don't agree that uh, some other things she said I don't agree with. But for the most part, I believe her. I know that these people can be very, very vicious. And when you start sending out letters attacking the leader of the so-called party, then you can expect to be attacked in return. So, okay. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. Um, have a good day. If you, if, just in case you didn't notice, it got quiet. I think they went to lunch. <laughs> so we could actually hear each other. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Jackie, for your, your contribution today. All right, so the question on the table, do Democrats act as though they're a solid bet for people of color, but work even harder to win the white vote. And the second question we asked today is, is non-participation in voting a good and useful strategy? What say you at 888-874-4888? Uh, hurry up and call while there's no work going on. You know, I, and I don't know why they picked me. I always say this with a laugh that if there's a lot of noise to be made, they come to my window. It, 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 it never fails. I don't know why they associate making a lot of noise with me. So, uh, they might have gone to lunch. The workers might have gone to lunch. What's happening is that they, they're tearing off all the old uh, patios from the sides of buildings and uh, putting in new ones. So it's, it's been nonstop noise, jackhammers and whatnot. But on the other hand, you have to say, well, at least it's improving the look of where we live. So that's good. And uh, somebody's got jobs. A lot of couple, a couple of guys I, I've seen out there, and uh, they were lucky to get the contract to uh, fix up these buildings. So that's that's good. But jeez, can't they just leave me alone? Am <laughs> I getting paranoid in my old age? Eight 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 seven four four eight eight eight. We're asking these questions because they inevitably will come up. 
and become part of the focus for some groups uh, because we, every time in every political season, we have had to to face some, if not all, of these questions. And it's getting to the point where, oh, geez, we have to face these questions again. Yes, we do, because this this is the cycle apparently that works for the Democratic Party and other parties. Uh, people just. Uh, have a way of deciding what we all should be talking about, all should be thinking about, and this is it. 888-874-4888. We are heading into the home stretch now, so if you have something to contribute, it's a good time to do so. You don't want to wait until it gets close to time. Um when we talk about the possibility of third parties, I think we we kind of we go into la la land. We're not thinking about what really happens at ground level, and specifically politically. When we talk about a third party or third parties, you're talking about the empowerment of previously denied people. Who wants them? Who wants them to come into the political process and mess up the works? No, just the way it is right now, Democrats, Republicans, and maybe one or two mainstream uh, exceptions. You know, you'll, you'll have those. But we really haven't taken this idea very seriously about building, constructing, uh, being purposeful about that, uh, a political vehicle that addresses the vast majority of people who have been gobbled up by both parties and are served by neither of them. What is the potential of that happening that people say, okay, we messed around and we didn't pay really close attention to these things before, but the time has come and we need to get more serious about organizing because this is going to be a huge organizing effort. You know that both the Republican and Democratic parties will do everything in their power to uh, sabotage any possibility of the emergence of a third party, especially if you're talking about the, the community that has been left out, which is largely uh, communities of color. But at the same time, as we've heard here today, we know that the specific needs, the important things, the important work that the parties needed to do to respond to the urgent needs of their constituents, they're not doing because it actually would cause them to confront the contradictions that they have. The Democratic Party has given lip service at one point it was very very concerned about communities of color because frankly communities of color were their salvation <laughs> they saved the democratic party uh, from a natural death actually and so the party energized itself or re-energized itself by reaching out to what for them was atypical, atypical. They did not. The Democratic Party was a racist, a trenchantly racist, openly racist party. And so here we are in today's world where people are, uh, uh, are likely to reconsider 
the party and any affiliation with it. And they see it as, well, a practical, a practical response. We're in trouble. We have to have some kind of party, some kind of vehicle to express ourselves politically. We can't go to the uh, Republican Party. We'll stick with the Democrats and see how far we can go with them before things get intolerable. Lincoln from New Jersey, you're on the air. Oh, this is Vincent. Oh, Vincent. Vincent, yes. Okay. I called you before. I uh, usually refer to you as Professor Lee. So you said to call you Utrecht, so I'll try to do that today. Good. Thank you. Okay. Uh, with regard to the uh, first question, I would agree with um, Ed and uh, followed up by the, the other uh, two uh, gentlemen that uh, followed him uh, about, I guess, the um, the way that they see us as um, uh, reliable and that we don't have any other choices. That's what they believe. But uh, I okay, would but as far you, as to uh, before that, you go any further, please yeah. identify who the they are that you're referring to. Uh, the uh, the Democratic Party. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the belief is that uh, in, in regards to you know how they uh, are seeking out or campaigning for or seeking the um, support of the uh, so-called whites, the working class whites, middle class whites, because that's the coveted class. We uh, have, of course, uh, many of the uh, uh, party leaders feel that we're so reliable and, and in some uh, ways uh, unable to go elsewhere so they can count on us even if we can't count on them. Uh, however, I would go as far as to say that when it comes to um, the fact that we uh, have been loyal to the Democratic Party for uh, now decades, you know, you know, not always uh, were we members of the Democratic Party, of course, but for so long uh, was because of, you know, what, um, you know, President uh, Kennedy uh, represent, and of course before that uh, we were, of course, spread out pretty much as uh, uh, traditionally Republicans because of uh, Abraham Lincoln's, um, you know, acts on our behalf, or what we believe were on our behalf at least. Uh, so I don't uh, think that um, they're doing it only because that. Um, they don't value us. They do value us, but they feel that we're such reliable um, voters on their behalf until they could just, you know, like offer us something frivolous or, you know, come in and, and pass out chicken sandwiches and, and, and donuts and coffee, and that they've bought us. And, uh, you know, they don't have to do the same tactics to other people because they have to campaign further or harder uh, to get their vote because they are a stable class that everybody covers, both Republican and Democrat. Uh, when it comes to uh, them, um, yeah, when it comes to them, them, uh, you know, uh, coming to us when it's come, it's time for uh, elections. That's, uh, you know, when I believe we should um, at least make certain demands and get some firm commitments from them before, uh, even if that means putting that in writing, that uh, before we continue to support you, this is what we require. And uh, when it comes to us um, getting those demands met, if we don't get them met, then we could, uh, uh, in the second part of the question, of course, uh, not vote. But I wouldn't just not vote 
just as a default measure. It should come with certain demands or requests that are made. And otherwise, what we'd have to do is organize uh, our smaller communities, meaning in their neighborhoods, um, so that they understand that we have to be reckoned with. Well, they wouldn't understand that we have to be reckoned with because we don't understand that we have to be reckoned with. So there is no fear. They can do whatever they want to do and proceed with their plan, and people of color will just situate themselves within the context of their plan without having demands of their own, and certainly without having an alternative, a political alternative. We've been very nice, and it hasn't really given us a lot. We've got some things, but it hasn't really been a consistent victory, not at all. But that brings us to the end of our program today. Thank you, Lincoln, for contributing. Uh, and thank you all for contributing. Is it crazy that as we end the program today, there's a little bit of quiet? Why? Because they're eating. <laughs> They've gone to lunch. So I'm thankful for the little respite. But uh, And I thank you very much for being uh, troopers today. Uh, it was a lot of noise. And uh, you would know that if you were where I'm sitting, it's as if the jackhammer is right next to your head. But um, when I talked with them this morning, they were clear that the hours between one and two had to be as quiet as possible. They promised me they they would do that, to be very quiet. And next thing, they cranked up all all of the machines, and it's right next to the room. I ensconced myself in thinking, well, at at least I have a little buffer. No, I didn't have a buffer. So you know there's going to be some hard talking coming up. And I'm going to let them know I didn't appreciate it. I really didn't appreciate that today. And yet I understand they they have work to do. They have to have a timeline in which to finish it. And they're taking care of business. But at the same time, I had a talk. I thought we understood each other, but apparently not. So lesson learned. Thank you all for calling in, and let's get together again tomorrow and talk some more. Bye-bye.